The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing out loud of your righteousness. Psalm 145 verses four to seven. We're reading from 2 Corinthians 9 this morning, verse 6 to 15. Um, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thank you. Alms giving. It's It's an an old school school word. word. Some Some words words or phrases phrases like like it are charity, charity, compassion, good good deeds, helping the poor. Psalm 11, 7 talks about our, quote, righteous deeds, and Deuteronomy 15 describes open-handed living. Both the Old and New Testaments are loaded with the importance of caring for others, especially those in need. Your participant journal this week will give you a good look at just how prevalent this theme is in the entirety of the Scriptures. Proverbs 14:31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Proverbs 19.17 Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Being kind and gracious to others is motivated by the fact that God has been kind and gracious to us. Now, I obviously don't know the current financial status and life situation of each person who's participating in the Lent experience, what, what I, I do know, know is that, that one of the things that followers of Jesus embrace is generosity. And it's, and it's something, something that moves from just a thought or sentiment into real-life practical expression of genuine care for others. In big ways, but more frequently, in small ways. When we are caring for the needs of others, we are expressing how God created us to be in the first place. You know, before sin messed everything up, 
When you, when you read, read the account, account of creation, creation in Genesis, Genesis you, quickly you quickly notice that humans are different than the rest of God's creation. Human beings are the pinnacle of his creation because it says that we are made, quote, in his image. Now, we can have a good conversation about what it means to be made in God's image, but one of the things we know for sure from the creation account is that God gave people the responsibility to care for what he had made. That includes each other. Because, because we, we are, are part, part of God's, God's creation. creation. So, it's so it's not a stretch to say that when, that when I'm caring for another person, person I'm, I'm doing what I was created to do. do. Almsgiving is real world, world stuff. stuff. It reminds us how good God, God has been, been to us, that we are created in God's, God's image, which, which to some extent means we were given, given responsibility. And it reminds us, hopefully without unnecessary guilt or condemnation, but with the correct amount of honesty and humility, that the selfishness of sin has a way of pulling us away from the kind of life that we were all created to live. So, this week's challenge is simple, but not as straightforward as other weeks. You'll need to do a little creative thinking to pull this one off. Your challenge is to do one thing this week to care for someone in need. This challenge, regardless of how you end up completing it, will force you to look beyond yourself in a good way. I'm going, I'm going to avoid, avoid the temptation, the temptation here to over-explain this. this. Your participant journal will give you some direction and some things to think about if you get stuck. I'll simply ask you to pray this simple prayer with me right now. Let's pray together. God, please help me to identify who you want me to help this week and what you want me to do. Amen. That's it. This is going to be a good week. I'll see you next Sunday. Amen. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. My name is Terry, and uh, one of the pastors here, and uh, it's my privilege to share this morning. I was saying to the worship team before the service that I think um, I could probably count on one hand. It wouldn't even take the whole hand to, to count how many times I've preached on the subject of giving in the 13 years that I've been around, and um, uh, yet this morning as we walk through these different practices of the faith, during this Lenten experience in preparation of our hearts for the Easter weekend and week, we, we are uh, on this subject, and so I welcome the opportunity to address what God's view of it is. And I've called this message, Grace Giving in the Life of a Christ Follower. So that's what we're going to be talking about, and you'll find the notes in the insert in your bulletin for the sermon, as well as on the app. You can follow along that way if you'd like. And again, I want to remind you that the focus of this message is really about the positivity of the grace of God that brings all these things that could be seen as negative into the positive light. And so fasting physically becomes rather this feasting spiritually upon God. And solitude is not loneliness. It's this opportunity to spend time concentrated alone with God. Our Father. Repentance is not this um, big problem of, of ruminating over our sin. It's, it's actually removing the things in our lives that block our fellowship with God. Giving today, you'll see, is not this, oh, you don't have as much, you've got to give more away. It's about investment. It's about multiplying what God has given you for his purposes, and you get to share the joy in that. Forgiveness, next week we'll be talking about 
It's, it's about gaining a brother or sister that you've lost. And then finally, before Easter on Palm Sunday, we'll be talking about Bible reading, which is really all about renewing our minds, just like Romans 12, 1 and 2 talk about. <clears throat> and so this morning, as we talk about this subject of giving, I would like to say at the outset that I think that all of the Bible's theology could be summed up in one statement that sort of goes like this, that God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. I've said this before, that all of the Bible's theology is represented in two big arrows, one coming from heaven down to us and the other one going out to other people. God blesses us so that we might be a blessing. That's what he said to Abraham in Genesis 12. I will bless you and all nations on earth will be blessed through you. That's what he said, Jesus said to the, the disciples that he was sending out on a discipleship mission. He said, freely you have received, freely give. That's what we read in 1 John 4, 19, that we love because he first loved us. And the text that we're looking at this morning, right in the middle of it, it says you will be enriched in every way. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion, the NIV says, so you might be generous in every way. And so giving is, uh, is, is the theme of this morning. And uh, perhaps giving's on our mind a little bit. It's tax season, and we're thinking about those taxable receipts that lower our taxable income, and we're thinking about that. But, of course, there's better motives of giving than just uh, reducing your taxable income. Incidentally, uh, let me just share with you a little bit about some Canadian statistics. Uh, Two-thirds of 65% of Canadians report giving in the past year. The biggest cause for people in Canada to give uh, was helping the poor. The uh, median amount of what is given on average by the average Canadian is $150. And uh, overall, Canadians all across the board gave 1.6% of their income to charities, which may not seem like a real big percentage. <clears throat> the interesting thing is that when you look at how Canadians give, there's a wide variety of things. Uh, you can see here 6% give to the causes of animals, 7% arts and culture, 19% education, 5% the environment, health, 26%, indigenous peoples, 1%, 12% for international needs, 16% for public benefit, religion, which is churches like the, the things that we do here, 31%, and then finally social services, 41%. That's kind of a breakdown on how Canadians donate in their charitable givings on an annual basis. But the last two years have been a problem, haven't they? The pandemic has really affected giving. In fact, the statistic that I came to, I came to when I looked at this and studied a bit is that charitable donations in Canada are down 14% compared to pre-pandemic levels. Obviously, things have been tightened and things have changed and it's caused some, some angst in people. The giving habits have changed. But praise the Lord, I want you to know that that has not been felt here at our church, at White Ridge Baptist Church. God has enabled us through his faithfulness and through your faithfulness to maintain and uh, we have met all of our needs. The, the people that have belief in and vision for the ministry and mission that God has given us as a church has uh, continued, and we rejoice in that. Spiritually, you know, when we address the subject of giving, we are addressing something that's closest to the heart. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, 
that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, uh, and so he also said in that same Sermon on the Mount, he said, uh, don't store up for your, yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where me- neither moth nor rust can destroy and ne- thieves cannot break in and steal. And so it's a very incredibly spiritual theme to be talking about. And I suppose that in a little bit of a way, perhaps this morning as I discuss this with you, I might just poke the bear a little bit. I might just disturb and, un- and give you some unrest on some of your habits and practices. And if that's the case, then uh, you take that to God. You don't need to agree with me. You need to agree with God in his word. And, and I hope I'm faithful to show you that. It's a slippery subject because of the heart. The heart is so deceitful, and so giving can be a slippery theme, and I want to demonstrate why. Uh, Let me start by saying that there are some systems of giving that don't have any place in the church. And today I want to mention two before I get into the text and discuss what grace giving is all about according to God's way. So the first system of giving that has no place in the church is giving to get. This is a system of giving that is actually very popular in the world. You see it all kinds of organizations using the system of giving to get. It's seen in 50-50 draws and bingos and lottery tickets. I believe it's at the core of the prosperity gospel, which tells people that if they just do the things the way, the God's way, the motive, though, is that they might get. And any time that's the motive at the end of all things, that's, that's wrong. That's not God's way at all, as you're going to see in the Scriptures today. Giving to get is uh, a wrong incentive giving the incentive to the donor of having the chance of getting and winning something is not God's way. It's just not. And um, it's a form of gambling. It's, it's, it's investing something to get something. And gambling has no place in the church as a means of supporting the ministry. We don't depend on chance. We don't depend on luck. We depend on a sovereign God And God planting his heart upon God's people so that God's people turn around and invest back in God's heart and vision for the ministry. My first exposure, by the way, to gambling in the the broad scheme of the word, my first exposure was one of my first jobs as a teenager. I lived in Hanover, Ontario, and I got a job at the Hanover Raceway. Now, this is a long time ago, and it was before the age of computerized billboards, and so my job was to put up the payoffs of a $2 bet. Win, place, show, exactor, quinella, all that stuff. If you can imagine that you're the crowd in the stands, and the raceway is right here, harness racing, and then I'm over here in a booth, and I'm sitting there with my headset, and as soon as the race is done and the photo finish is taken and the judges decide, win, play, show, and all that, I get somebody telling me on my headset, okay, the $2 bet to win is 210, and then it's on and so on. Well, it was a really odd, you know, far-reaching, last horse to expect to win one, and it was a big payout. I just love putting those numbers up on that sandwich board, then flipping it around so that all of the crowd could see it, and this would be, go crazy, you know. That was my first exposure to gambling. At that time, I didn't have any clue that God might have something to say about gambling, about money, and so on. 
And so several years later, if you fast forward, I find myself being the pastor of First Baptist Church in Thunder Bay, Ontario. And, and I remember the Ontario government was giving a license to a group of people in Thunder Bay to start what was called Charity Casino at the time, 1997. I thought it was a bit of a joke because such a small percentage went to charity. It was a rather ridiculous name, Charity Casino. It's called Gateway Casino now, I think. And so I was part of a group of pastors that were understanding and studying from Windsor Police and other places what were the costs socially on a community that was opening the doors to a casino. You know, they had to, in Windsor, I think if my memory serves me correct, they had to add 14 new police officers to the Windsor, Windsor Police Force when they opened the casino. You know, see, anyway, I won't go into this long and hard, but I, I preached a sermon and I called my sermon in 1997, Casino Gambling, Parasite at the Public Trough. And I looked up the definition of, of gambling from a couple of psychologists, Halliday and Fuller, and they said that gambling is a reallocation of wealth on the basis of deliberate risk involving gain to one party and loss to another, usually without productive work on either side, and always involving an element of chance. Well, if you take that definition into the various forms that you could find, indeed, you will see that it's relevant. I, I preached a sermon. I shared seven biblical reasons why I believed that we should not be involved in any form of gambling from sports lotteries and lottery tickets and slot machines and horses and bedding and all that stuff. Well, I share this. I know that... that I know that sev I'm sharing this with the knowledge that 75% of Canadians participate in gambling of some form or another. The most common one is the scratch and win tickets that you get at garages and places like that. So it's, a, it's an industry that generates $16 billion annually in Canada. $16 billion. And so... I understand that this might be getting close to home for certain things, practices we have. I don't think it has any place in, among God's people, especially in supporting the ministry that God has. And um, I can talk to you more about that privately if you'd like. Another system of giving that has no place in the church is called the, I call it the annual membership fee kind of system of giving. And um, what I mean by that is that uh, you know, if you want to become a member of our church, then uh, here's, here's the fee schedule. And if you pay your fees, then you're a member. <laughs> uh, in fact, um, in Germany, um, they have what is called, and my German is terrible, so don't, don't uh, slaughter me on this the way I slaughter this word, but I asked uh, Rudy about it, by the way. Kirchensteuer. It's church tax. In Germany, when a baby is born, the parents decide whether they're state church Lutheran or state church Catholic, and the taxes that they give to the church, that couple, will go to either the Lutheran church or the Catholic church to pay the pastor's salary, the priest's salary, the maintenance of the building, and so on. I asked Rudy what, what his uh, parents did, and he said that when he was born in Germany that his parents uh, wrote down free evangelical church, which exempted them from paying taxes to the state church in that way. That was kind of an interesting way. That's one way to grow the evangelical church. <laughs> I don't know enough about that in Germany today. It might have changed over the years. But the point I'm making is this, that a church tax system of whatever nature has several problems. One problem is the dependency that the church has on the state. 
Another problem is that the church can go on functioning as an institution even if it becomes absolutely spiritually dead, that people don't even want to follow Jesus. This institution keeps on getting propped up and the doors stay open, so on. It's very important that all of you who consider this church family, this community of faith, your community of faith, if you believe in what we do, if you believe that God has called us to, to gather and spend money the way we're doing it and so on, then I believe that it is important for all of you to contribute to this ministry, to sustain it. But it's not a membership fee. It's not a tax. It's not a have to. This is not a gym. This is not a club with dues. I've heard some churches that require 10% tithe. They keep track of it. I believe that's absolutely anti-New Testament. It is not in the spirit of grace giving that God has taught, as you'll see in the scripture we're going to look at. And so today, as we look into this idea of grace giving, I want to say four things about God's way of us handling our finances and giving to his cause on earth. Calling it grace giving, looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and the first thing I want to say is that it has the principle of sowing, verse 6. It says in verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, I'm sure that many of you have heard this before, but there are four laws of the harvest. I read it several years ago. There are four simple laws of the harvest. One law is that you will not reap if you do not sow. Pat and I have noticed that in the last several years. We have not sown anything because we don't have a garden, and we haven't reaped anything. Second law of the harvest is simply that you will always reap what you sow. If you put a bunch of seed potato in the ground, you're not going to get carrots. Thirdly, you will always reap more than you sow. Now, there has been a time or two when Pat and I did not do that. We, we sowed some, a pail of seed potatoes and we harvested some different potatoes about a pail later on. That was a bad year. <clears throat> And then finally, you will always reap later than you sow. Now, this is common sense, isn't it, when it comes to gardening and farming and so on. Natural thinking, however, tells us that if we have more and if we keep more for ourselves, we will have more. If we keep more for ourselves on payday, we will have. That's natural thinking. It's interesting that God's math says that if you give less, it's like planting less in your garden. But we, don't, we all understand the laws of harvest when it comes to gardening, but we don't always apply that same law to our giving habits. We don't think that way sometimes. Jesus said, Luke 6, 38, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The measure you use, it will be measured to you, the law of the harvest. You will reap what you sow. And so God's word is clear on these things. Many people have looked at various scriptures, and, and this is where a lot of confusion, a lot of uh, silly ideas surround the matter of, uh, of giving, of storing up treasure in heaven, of Jesus going to prepare a place for you. <laughs> Does that, does th do those two verses connect? You storing up treasure in heaven and Jesus going to prepare a place for you? 
I heard a really interesting story about, a, it's fictitious, obviously, story about a rich man who died and went to heaven, and he, he was shown by an angel, he was shown all these beautiful mansions, unlike he'd ever seen on earth. And uh, an angel took him by one mansion, he thought, this has got to be for me. The angel said it was for his servant, one of his servants. And so he thought, oh my, <laughs> if that's for my servant, I can hardly wait till." Uh, he took him by another incredible, glorious palace. And he thought, well, this one must be for me. And uh, he said, no, no, that's, that's for your gardener. Well, he's just getting pumped up. He can hardly wait to see the house that is for him, this place that Jesus has prepared for him. Well, the next place ends up being a rundown shack. And he looks at the angel and said, who is this for? And Sadly, to his horror, he finds out that it's for him. And then the angel added, it's the best we could do with what you gave us. <laughs> now, you know that's God's math. God's math is re revealed in Luke 21. You remember the story of the widow's might. Jesus is at the temple. He's with his disciples, and he's watching all the people walk by the offering plate. And he sees an older widow, a woman, walk up, and she puts in two little copper coins. Even though all the rich people were kind of announcing and making sure that everything was being seen in the offering plate. And Jesus said to his disciples in that instance, he said, this widow has put more in than all the rest. They contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty. That's God's math. God is able to do more with those two copper coins than the abundance of what the rich were putting in. And so Mark 10, 28, uh, Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. How's that forgiving? We have left everything to follow you. And Jesus responds with these words. He says, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields and with them persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. That's what Jesus said. You are, God is no man's debtor. God, God cannot be outgiven. God operates on the laws of the harvest. He, he gives you the seed up front, and he provides the increase at the back end. That's just his way. And if we're going to grow in grace giving, we must have that readiness in our hearts to give because we've received from God. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, if we were to back up in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, and we won't go there now, but you'd know from the beginning of chapter 9 that the reason they're taking up an offering at the church in Corinth is because they've heard about the, the problems and the needs in the Macedonian churches. And what Paul says in verse 2, he commends the Corinthian church because he said, as soon as you heard about it, there was a readiness, is the word. There was a readiness for you to give. To the need of your brothers and sisters in Macedonia. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for that readiness on the heart because of what God has blessed you with. A second point I want to make about grace giving is there's incredible importance of privacy here. Paul teaches that there's a privacy to giving and a hilarious joy 
when you do it. Verse 7 says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I don't know how Paul could be more clear personally. It just seems to be absolutely crystal clear here. As much as it is possible, Paul says, giving should be a private matter. It should be between you and God. And Jesus, remember, cautioned his followers about announcing things. He talked about fasting, praying, and giving. And he said in all three of those situations in the Sermon on the Mount, you should be very private. That should be between you and God. Because you see, he's cautioning against what the Pharisees were doing. They were fasting, but they would be walking around the community looking so, so forlorn. They would be giving, but they would be making sure that everybody saw it, and so on. And Jesus says that's not the way of God's people. And so in giving, you go to God, you ask God what he wants you to give, and uh, then whether it's to the church or to a need that is presented, and when God settles in your heart what you're to give, you, you follow through. You just follow through. You give not just from the head, you give from the heart. In other words, you don't just give by reason, you give by revelation. What is God asking you to do? You pray about it. And if you're married, you, you pray about it together. And uh, giving should never be a cause of friction in a marriage. It really shouldn't. How can you be a cheerful giver if one of the parties in the marriage is really, really not wanting to give that much, that way? It just doesn't, it doesn't line up. And many times um, when Pat and I have a, a, a need that we see or something that has been presented to us, we pray about it, we talk about it. If we're not in agreement, we either keep praying about it or we give whatever is lesser that both of us can give with hilarious joy to the need. It should not be a cause of friction in the marriage. I remember when we were having the capital campaign for this building and all of us were to go to the prayer closet, all of us as couples that were married, to talk together and to pray together. And I remember talking to three different couples that were wrestling this issue through, even as Pat and I were. And, and in, many situ in three of those situations, like I said, this was an incredible wrestling point, but also a breakthrough point, a breakthrough as they, as they came before the Lord and they came to discern what God wanted them to pledge for the next three years to build this building. And so I believe that um, glad obedience is the goal here. Uh, when we read that God loves a cheerful giver, the word hilarious there, he does not want sour, begrudging givers. He does not want to be people guilted or obligated. It's contrary to the gospel of grace. And once we understand the laws of the harvest, once we've settled in the matter in our hearts, then our giving takes on this joyful intentionality and this anticipation at what, what God's going to do. How's he going to multiply the five loaves and the two fish that I gave and feed the multitude? What is God going to do with what I've done? There should be no manipulating involved. There should be no coercion, no arm twisting, no guilt giving, no giving out of sense of duty. I can't stand it when I'm at some meeting, a church group or whatever, and, and the person up front is going on and on about an appeal. Give. No, that's not it. They missed the point. I don't even like it when I'm going through the grocery store and they ask me if I want to contribute a dollar or two to some cause. 
At the beginning when they started doing that, I had this feeling like I had to justify, oh, no, we go to church, we give over there. Now I just say no. Now if you want to give at Superstore or wherever, I'm not saying don't do it. Just don't do it because you feel guilty or you're feeling shamed that they're leveraging the moment. I just think that's wrong for God's people. You give because God's put it on your heart to give. So verse 5, a willing heart giving the gift not grudgingly. Verse 6, give generously, bountifully, not sparingly. Verse 7, give cheerfully, not grudgingly. You know, it would be a sad thing if beside the offering baskets, wherever they are, we had to put a Kleenex box. <laughs> That'd be a really sad thing. You know, people walking up. <laughs> no. It should not be that way, you know. Very sad thing. And so God wants us to be a cheerful giver, a grace giver. Examine your heart this week in this challenge and determine to do what, what you think God wants you to do. So I want to lead to the next point because this is really important. Because our habits about giving reveal what we think of God. Is God a giver or is God a taker? That's really what it comes down to. And that leads to the next point. Grace giving has the promise of grace abounding, verses 8 to 10. Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. Do you see the abundance in there of God, the incredible abundance of God's overflowing grace? Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. He'll multiply your seed for sowing and he'll increase the harvest of your righteousness. God's, a, God's not a taker. God is a giver. It comes down to how you view God, though. Is God, in your mind, an inexhaustible giver, a supplier, a fountain of grace, a replenisher of all blessing? Or is he one that's trying to extract as much as he can out of you? John Piper's uh, paraphrased John, uh, Matthew 6, 21 by saying it this way. He says, what our hands do with our money reveals what our hearts are doing with God. What our hands do with our money reveals what our hearts are doing with God. So is your relationship with God a draining, dutiful, life-depleting thing? Or do you know him as the giver of every good and perfect gift? Are you able to say along with David, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all I need? Are you able to say that? In, can you say with Psalm 84:11, no good thing does he withhold? Can you say along with Jesus' teaching in Matthew 10, 29, consider the sparrows. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father? And even the very hairs of your head are numbered, so don't be afraid. You're worth way more than sparrows. God's got you. God's taking care of you. Does not make sense that, that the living and eternal, all sovereign and powerful God would be stingy. It just does not make sense, folks, if you know Him. Psalm 24 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it and all who live there. The earth is the Lord's. Job 41 11 reminds us that everything under heaven belongs to God. And since everything belongs to God, then He abounds in giving. He's constantly looking down at his people on earth and thinking about how his resources can be circulating along in the earth 
You know, circulating means it's got to leave my wallet and get to your wallet. Circulating all around the earth. And what's happening every time that happens is that God's getting more glory as people see that, that money doesn't have a grip on me and money can bless you in this moment. How many times God has given us the opportunity for that? Psalm 50, verse 10, For every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, the creatures of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, God says, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do you understand the abundance of God? That's the thing. God knows your need. You know, Pat and I have had so many, I I bet you if we started telling stories today, we'd be here all day. You have stories of how God supplied your need. So do we. I remember one time we were in seminary in Nova Scotia. It was our last year I was going to graduate. I had a pastoral ministry to go to in Thunder Bay starting in a couple months, you know. And we had no money. We had very little money. We couldn't get home from Nova Scotia on the money that we had. Emily was a little girl, two years old almost. And, and I remember a woman from our church came to our door no idea how she knew. She handed us an envelope. I think it was $400. It was enough. Today it would only get us to Ontario, but uh, from Nova Scotia. <laughs> it got us all the way home and more. And another time I remember in Thunder Bay, we had a, a speaker from Knoxville, Tennessee come up and have a whole week of meetings. I, know, I knew him from former days. His name is Jeff Brooks. Wonderful preacher, wonderful man of God. Him and his wife Martha came up, spent the whole week. And after Sunday evening, um, I said, let's go out for breakfast tomorrow morning before you leave. And I had given him that evening the, the, the treasurer's envelope of the honorarium for the entire week, every evening of meetings that we had at the church. We, we sat across from Jeff and Martha and... Uh, he had the envelope un, unopened, still sitting behind his, beside his plate. And he just moved that envelope across to Pat and I. And he said, Martha and I want you guys to have that. I can't remember what it was. And, uh, but it was at a time when I can't remember what was the van breaking down or the house needing things, whatever. It just like was this incredible need. God meant You've got your stories too. If you have the eyes of faith, you will know the way that God abundantly provides for you because the promise of grace abounding accompanies all of you who are involved in grace giving. And then finally, I want to share that finally, we see in verses 11 to 15 what grace giving produces when we participate in it. It says, let me read this entire section here in verses 11 to 15. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God, talking about the Macedonian church. Because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, well, they long for you and pray for you because of their surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. 
Now, there's lots in here, I know, but let me just say four things that grace giving accomplishes. When you participate in giving God's way, this is what it does. Number one, grace giving deepens your generosity. You will grow deeper because you'll see how God uses what you do. It says in, it says, uh, in verse 9, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You're going to grow in that. It's an arrow down because you're going to deepen your generosity. The arrow is up because grace giving results in more thanksgiving to God. For this ministry, Paul says, this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. That's what grace giving does. All kinds of people are going to say, man, how did you know about my need? Thank you. I said, God, God, thank God. And then as well, Grace giving meets the needs of others. The generosity, Paul says, of your contribution to them and for all others. It just multiplies. And then finally, grace giving stirs up our affection for one another. Paul writes, they long for you. The Macedonian church longs for you, the Corinthians. And they pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. You know, it's an incredible thing when, when people kind of connect because one is meeting in the need of another. Man, that just bonds people incredibly. And so this week, friends, we have the challenge before us. And I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes open and listen, your ears listening to God. What has he got for you? Uh, you don't have to build this on-ramp. God's going to show you. Ask God, what do you want me to help? Who do you want me to help this week? And, and how do you want me to do that? What do you want me to do? And then go into your day. Just go into your day looking for the answer. God's going to show you. And secondly, maybe you, you're going to be praying about giving to our church. And maybe it's another ministry that God's put on your heart. Just follow through. Just make it simple obedience. And if you can give 5% gladly, do it. If you can give 10% gladly, do it. If you can give... 0.5% gladly, you do it, because God loves a cheerful giver. That's what he wants. And then thirdly, perhaps someone is in your mind right now, and you've thought about them, uh, their need has been on your heart, you already have the answer. Just follow through this week. May God bless us. May God make us a blessing as we are so blessed. Amen. Father, thank you for how good you are to us. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the gifts that you have given us to share and to give and to use for your glory. God, this week I ask that you would give us the wisdom and discernment that we need to, to know how and why we give. Um, God, would we long to follow your will in that and not our own. Um, and this week as we learn what it is to honor you more and through all of our actions, God, would we do that for your glory alone and not for our own. Thank you, God, for this, and thank you, Lord, for this church family. In your name, amen. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.